All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Fifth and Long podcast for another edition of uh, some football talk covering last week's games, previewing some of next week's games, going over some storylines and whatnot. Patrick DeMar here, of course, with Paul, the commissioner, Kayshak, Pauly Kamish. Uh, I'm just going to call you Paul or, or Kamish from now on. I'm going to try not to go full name. Kamish or Paul. I- I prefer commish. It's a uh, it's a, both an endearing term and a term of respect. So yes, commish would be great. Just understood. Commish. All right, we'll stick with it. There we go. Commish uh, from here until henceforth. Um, Paul, how was how was your week of NFL football, man? Uh, you know, it was weird with the Steelers playing on Thursday. It kind of felt empty on that Sunday again with with no Steelers to watch pretty terrible fantasy day for me again as it's been a trend these past couple of weeks so honestly could have been better could have been better but uh some crazy games nonetheless entertaining to just sit back as an NFL fan and watch so I enjoyed it's tough to it's tough to not enjoy an NFL Sunday you know absolutely I um I had all Sunday off which was awesome after I had a pretty busy uh work week so getting a day to just like lay out on the couch like a sack of potatoes and, and watch football was the best. I sent you a picture. I had six games going on my screen in the one o'clock window. That was kind of hectic. I, I've done it before and you don't like catch all the games. I go back and watch replays of the games anyways, but um, that, that was a doozy, man. There were some crazy games going on late too. having the, the Minnesota Atlanta finish with the Texans bucks finish basically back to back was nuts. Um, we'll get to all those in a second it, later on, but I, I want to start with your team first because your team started off our NFL schedule Thursday night. Uh, last week, our biggest story was Will Levis, DeAndre Hopkins, the resurgence of the Titans and their passing offense. Um, Levis had a pretty okay-ish game against, against the Steelers on that Thursday night. Since then, he's been named the starter officially. That news came out today. Uh, it's Tuesday night that we're recording right now. So that would be Tuesday morning. That news dropped. Um, 2016 win for the Steelers. Paul, it was a pretty big win for you guys. Tell me, tell me how you feel first and then I'll riff because I, I pretty much, I think I already know how you're going to feel about it more or less. Yeah. As I've mentioned many times before, I'm, I'm, I play the role of the pessimistic Steeler fan and I left Thursday night's game feeling no better about this team and their outlook for the rest of the season than I have all year. Uh, In fact, if anything, I feel a little bit worse because I thought Kenny Pickett's first half was as bad as any half that he has played this year. There are multiple open looks that he had that he failed to hit. He had George Pickens on a early crosser drag route where he had his man beat off the line and he overshoots him. It's only about a five yard throw and Pickens would have had 25, 30 yards to run. After the catch, he had Calvin Austin on a deep ball up the middle, the seam where he underthrew. He underthrew him on a go ball, allowed the defender to catch up and break it up. Uh, There were some mental mistakes by our team. Pickens not getting his second foot down in bounds on what would have been a touchdown in the third quarter. So defense was okay. They... They let up a good amount of yards. I thought Will Levis kind of doubled down on on his performance. It wasn't spectacular like his game against Atlanta last week, but I thought he moved the ball pretty well on our defense, which was pretty discouraging to see that a second-year guy could could kind of move the ball up and down the field like he did. 
they found a way to win here. Uh, I'll take it. The penalties are an issue as well. But, but man, I, it just the, the style of play that they're playing right now and the way that they're winning football games is not going to beat the top dogs in the AFC come playoff time, if we even get there. This isn't going to work against Kansas City. This isn't going to work against Cincinnati. I know it worked against Baltimore earlier in the year, but the way that Baltimore is playing right now, I, I don't see it working. You, you can have a lackluster three quarters and pull it out in the fourth quarter like Kenny Pickett's been able to do against Will Levis, who's in his second start. You can do that against a Matt Stafford who might be over the hump right now. You might be able to do it next week against Jordan Love, who's still finding his footing in the league. But when you face Joe Burrow, when you face Patrick Mahomes, when you face the guys that you're going to need to face to get to the next level and compete for a championship, that method's not going to work. And I, I just think that a big blowout or a big kick in the pants is waiting for us some portion later in the year. And that that's what I'm most worried about. My one counterpoint to your uh, Ravens point is the last loss the Ravens had on their schedule was, was to the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, a little over a month ago. Um, we'll see if that result holds true again when when you two meet back up uh, at the end of the season. That's actually That could set up to be a really fun game, the last game of the year on January 7th. Uh, circle that on your calendars, folks. But from what I saw in this game, it was – it was a mix of, of things that you mentioned. Kenny did miss some throws. Uh, he was not great in the first half, but he didn't have any mistakes that really cost the Steelers. Um, Levis had that one interception at the very end of the game. Take it or leave it. You know, you have to try to make some plays in that situation just, just to try to win the game. And he did move the ball pretty well down the fields against you guys. He still had some flashes of the deep ball and, and, um, hitting some throws with some tight windows. Henry had a decent game. He had a touchdown as well. Um, I actually really liked the way your running game looked uh, in this game. Warren had some explosiveness, not just with carries, but also catching passes out of the backfield. I'd like to see them incorporate him in the passing game a little bit more, especially since it seems like Kenny isn't like a home run ball type of QB really, where you're going to have 30 like 38, 39, maybe even 40 plus passes a game, just trying to air it out. Harris has been consistently average to above average for you guys the last few weeks, which is a step up actually from what he had been to start the year, which I think is a good sign. But you mentioned the penalties. That was a huge problem. You had 10 penalties in this game and Tennessee had six first downs off penalties that actually helped them out a lot in that last drive of the game when they had an opportunity to, to win. I think there was two different, penalties maybe even three different penalties that came in on, on third and fourth down plays um that allowed them to to keep the game going essentially this is the first i i said last week was the first time i was really worried about the steelers against uh against the jaguars when you guys lost 20 to 10 but this time i, I think i've realized now that the steelers will be a team that will take advantage of the bad teams they face because they are well coached they do have a good defense they have an offense that is efficient enough and avoids mistakes enough to where it's going to be rare. I think that you do get blown out. It might happen once or twice. Um, if I remember, you say that, but it already has happened twice. I mean, it's Niners I mean, and the Texans. I know. Yes. The Texans, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think your ceiling is capped. I don't see you winning a Super Bowl at this point. Um, I think that's evidently clear, but I would say, you're still going to be in the thick of it in terms of the playoff race, in terms of your divisional race. 
You still have some winnable games ahead on the schedule with matchups against the Packers, the Cardinals, my Patriots, the Colts. Um, so you're you're going to rack up a few more wins. After that, it's all toss-up games. And you've got two games against the Bengals still. You have one game against the Browns, one game on the road uh, against the Seahawks. And then you finish with that road game against the Ravens at the end of the year. I think I, I've pretty much said as much as I can on that. You know, Pickett, he completed two-thirds of his passes and and the offense did have some okay moments, but ultimately you guys won this game. I think just from uh, making the, the least amount of critical mistakes, I would say, at the end. That's how we've been winning games. games. That's how we've been winning games. <laughs> what can you do? Um, mm-hmm. I want to flip-flop over to my team really quick just to just get it over with, more or less. Um, the Patriots losing once again to the Washington Commanders this week. The Patriots are the worst team in the league against the spread. They're now in a second worst team in the league against the spread. They're now two and seven. Uh, and their record is also two and seven. This was a classic Mac Jones tank fest of a game. I mean, Belichick at this point, he's, he's pulling the strings, trying to make sure we're losing. He took our two starting quarterbacks out for the first five minutes of the game for no reason. Asked about it afterwards. The, the cornerbacks and Bill all had no comment whatsoever. Mac only had one interception in this game, and it was a ball that went through the hands of Juju Smith-Schuster on his last throw of the game. But he had several missed throws before that that were crucial on third downs and fourth down situations. He had that great pass to, to Henry um, where he fitted into a tight window at the end. And, and I've seen him have that same kind of throw to Henry a bunch of times. It seems like that's sort of his safety blanket, especially in the red zone. But I've seen Mac throw a loss ceiling pick at this point so many times. I'm just sick of it, man. No, no sacks allowed. I'm not going to give him a crutch that the OL was bad. They actually played well. We were down a few wide receivers. I mean, uh, Bourne went out last week. Parker was out for this game. I, I just, at this point, I'm hoping we're, lo- we're going to lose and that we keep losing. Um, I think they're doing the right thing. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson, the last he was seen of in this game, he had a 60-yard touchdown run. Never got the ball again after that when he had nine carries for like 80-something yards. I think that says it all. Bill saw that and said, nope, we we can't win this game. We got to let Sam Howell do this thing. Uh, Speaking of which, Sam Howell is, I think, top like five in the NFL in yards, in passing yards right now. He's also tied for the league lead in picks. Um, So take with that what you will. But hey, kudos to Sam Howell. Uh, he's actually second in the NFL in yards, right behind Tua. Um, but he is tied for most of the league with picks with uh, Josh Allen, which uh, we'll get to later as well. Paul, feel free to berate my team if you like. I, I We lost to the Raiders earlier this year who fired their coach at midseason. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys, I, I think you've touched on it. And I, I know that a lot of people up here in the New England area feel this way. I think that the the quarterback is proving that he can't he can't win games and that he's he's not the guy for you if you look at his stat line 24 or 44 you alluded to him missing some passes I mean that's a horrible completion percentage there and I thought you also touched on a pretty good point with the the offensive line I'm looking at the box score here I don't see any sacks from the commanders and we know that their defensive line was depleted this week after trading Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who we talked about on last week's podcast. So the offensive line maybe hasn't been great for you guys all year. I don't know exactly where you're ranking in terms of overall PFF grades or um, overall protection grades, 
but it seems like you guys got some good protection today. Mac Jones still wasn't able to make the timely throws. It might be a full tank mode. You alluded to it uh, about Ramondre Stevenson. Looked pretty explosive on the ground and then, you know, not even getting double-digit touches. Uh, that's a problem there. It seems like you guys are trending towards a potential top five pick here. That's about all I got to say. And I, I think that if you're, if you're you have that pick you you got to move on from mac jones and that's probably how you feel but you can correct me if i'm wrong on that that's pretty much sums up how i feel one way or another we need to move away through mac from mac jones whether it's through the draft or uh, a trade or some other route we've got two games in the next in this month against the colts and the giants the giants game on a uh november 26th is that Thanksgiving this year? I, I don't uh, no, that's that I don't want to think about that game. I, no. With all due respect. That I don't mean. want to either, but we better throw out. Bill better be pulling every trick in the book to, to find a way for us to lose that game. I'm talking like practice squad players at every skill position. Hire a water boy as as a safety or something and throw him out there for a quarter or two. Uh, give- well, if you put Bobby Boucher on your guys' defense, there'll be no offensive line for the giants to stop him. So <laughs> I don't really know if that's going to be a way to lose that game. <laughs> Bobby Boucher would be my number one pick in the years, this year's draft, man. I don't know what you're talking about, but yes, the giants are, are terrible. Um, that's, that's going to be an awful game to watch. Next game I want to touch on is the Sunday AM game that took place in Frankfurt, Germany. Chiefs and the Dolphins, this matchup had some serious anticipation to it. Um, it had a weird feel early. I remember, like, I woke up early, I made myself breakfast, got a cup of coffee going. I was actually pumped, too. Like, I, I'm I'm sitting there on the couch, can't wait for a full day of football. It's starting at 9.30 in the morning. You can't go all day if it's not starting in the morning. I think everybody was ready for the game to start early, except for the Chiefs and Dolphins. <laughs> it was slow at first. It wasn't a high scoring game by any means, but the chiefs haven't really been like a extremely high scoring team this year for the most part, with the exception of a couple games. Um, but it, it was a competitive game, sort of uh, K KC went up really early. They went up 21, nothing before the half. It was 14, nothing at one point, but then they had the Tyreek uh, strip six, which was pretty crazy that that lateral was maybe one of the craziest defensive plays I've ever seen just in terms of, like spur of the moment thinking on your feet kind of things. I don't think I've ever seen that exact play before. I might have, but I, I can't remember it really on um a play that wasn't in like an end of game scenario per se. Um, he does that on both sides of the ball. I mean, Travis Kelsey does that lateral play too sometimes when he catches it over the middle and just kind of dumps it off to, to somebody else, sometimes even by design. So that's definitely something they work on in practice. Um, it's quick thinking for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've never seen it on defense, though. That's that's what really surprised me was just like stripping somebody and then tossing it to the guy behind you. That really caught my attention. Uh, both teams in this game had less than 300 yards total. Both quarterbacks passed for less than 200 yards. Both teams traveled almost 5,000 miles to get to this game. Frankfurt also had that weird low-hanging video board that the punter hit once and they had to re-punt. Our buddy Brendan Herfelt was was texting in our group chat about how this was a terrible venue for this game. It didn't feel right. It didn't feel normal. I'm I'm usually a fan of the European games, the Munich games I loved at Allianz Arena, but this this did feel like it 
maybe altered the play of the teams a little bit, at least early on. Once the second half started and Miami got rolling a little bit, it felt a little more like a normal football game. But also Miami really struggled at the beginning and Casey's defense was incredible um, overall. I think Mahomes afterwards was quoted after the game saying, like, this is the best defense he's ever had. And, and I think I would have to agree with him. Do you think the the fumble that put uh, the Dolphins down 21 nothing was what ultimately did them in? I mean, I, you're down 21 nothing to Pat Mahomes, man. That's That's a really tough hole to climb out of. I mean, at, at the time, I certainly felt that way. But if you look at how the game unfolded from there in the second half, I don't think you can really go back to the fumble and say that was that was the game right there. I mean, Miami comes out in the second half. They score right away. Uh, I believe they force a turnover later in the third quarter. They, yep. they score again. It's 21 to 14. And, and they're they have a chance to go tie that game at the end. And I, I really I would have been interesting to see if Mike McDaniel would have gone for two in that situation. I, I, I tend to think that he would have had Miami scored and then you try to end the game right there, but the game was in Miami's hands at the end. So I can't, I can't really say that the Tyreek fumble, that that was the undoing of them. I mean, they clearly rallied out of the half and and put it behind them. Obviously if that play doesn't happen, it might be a 14, 14 game. I think that goes back to speaking to just how good the defenses were. Kansas city really only had 14 points of offense themselves. Miami of course only had 14 points of offense I don't know if that was the travel. Steve Spagnuolo's defense is legit for Kansas City. I mean, Steve Spagnuolo was a defensive coordinator for the Giants that beat one of the best offenses of all time in that 2007 Patriots team with Brady and Randy Moss. Sorry to bring up bad memories on on your end, but he's a legit defensive coordinator, somebody who might be a candidate for a head coaching job down the road. And... There's a lot of young talent, too, on that Kansas City defense. I love the way Trent McDuffie plays the safety position. And George Karlaftis is a beast coming off of the edge. He's a nightmare for opposing tackles, and he's in the quarterback's hip pocket. So very good calling out the Kansas City defense. That has been a reason for them winning a a decent amount of games this year. And if you give Patrick Mahomes even more help like that, man, you just wonder how many uh, how many rings this Kansas City team can bring home with a young, good defense and, and a guy like Mahomes at quarterback. The Kansas City Chiefs defense, second in the league uh, in terms of points per game allowed, 15.9 points per game. The Ravens are the only team better to this point, just a hair under 14 points a game. And the Chiefs are also fourth in the league in yards uh, allowed per game. Uh, fourth in passing yards allowed per game as well. Um, their, their run defense isn't phenomenal, but I don't think many teams are going into games against Pat Mahomes thinking we're, we're going to run the ball. Most teams are thinking we have to, we have to rack up the points. We got to score against this guy. We're going to have to air it out. Maybe, this, maybe the secret's the opposite. Maybe you should try to control the clock more, keep the ball out of his hands. I'd be interested to see if teams would- like to do that i think right sorry to cut you off i think a lot of teams would like to do that run the ball and control it but i mean with how quickly the chiefs offense can score and how effective their offense is you're usually playing from behind exactly and that's that's out of your control so you usually have to abandon that that grounded pound exactly the final score was 21 14 it ended the with the dolphins driving and they had a chance to tie or win as you said uh, if they did score a touchdown and, and had the option to elect to go for two or not. The game ended essentially on a bad snap to Tua, which was 
it just felt so anticlimactic. I, I mean, I was hoping for some kind of like last gasp shot from one of those teams to some kind of more dramatic finish, you know, and, and I felt like we missed that. So maybe we see these teams again later down the road. Who knows? The Dolphins are first in the AFC East at this point. The Chiefs, of course, number one seed in the AFC right now, I believe. Um, I yes. Baltimore, I think Baltimore has them. I, I could be wrong on that. I think Baltimore is technically the one seed right now. It's going, it no, goes it's, a tiebreaker. It's Kansas City. Kansas City and then okay. Baltimore. That's what I thought. My my other note from this game, something that I really was thinking about during the course of the game as uh, Mahomes had a few like deep bomb attempts that he couldn't hit on. I, I don't know if we'll ever see a deep passing connection as good as Mahomes and Tyreek Hill ever again. The the others that I really think about that I first from like my childhood that I remember would be Randy Moss and Brady, the one year, of course. Um Manning's touchdown year, he had a lot of I think I believe DeAnthony Thomas, if I'm not mistaken, broke that record that year. Uh you're thinking of Demarius Thomas. Marius Thomas, that's right. Yeah. That's correct. Um, but they weren't all it wasn't all like deep bomb shops. You go back and watch that Randy Moss highlight reel from that season. I mean, half the time it was Brady just heaving it down there and he'd come down with it. But the Hill Mahomes thing was in a completely different element. You had Tyreek Hill, who is an Olympic level track star, possibly. And then Mahomes, who can probably throw the ball 70, 80 yards if he wanted to. It's It seems like an alien-like blip in the NFL radar that if you blinked and missed it, or if you didn't see it, you'll, you'll never have that chance again at least to me do, do you think there's anything else that compares or, or maybe we'll see something like that again oh well i, I mean i think players are you know we'll, we'll see something like it you know it might not be in this generation of quarterbacks but guys are getting more talented year after year i mean these guys come way more pro ready the talent level if you compare nfl players to this year say compare them to quarterbacks and receivers 30 40 years ago it's night and day so I think that we'll just continue to see that progression and, you know, something will match it. I thought it was interesting. You brought up Peyton Manning with Demarius Thomas. I mean, when I think of a big deep ball connection with Peyton Manning, I think Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison in Indianapolis. But I was just um, trying to think of the touchdowns and like the success rate of it. Marvin Harrison would be a better comp. You could also go with like Stafford, Calvin Johnson, maybe. When I think of a, a quarterback receiver duo in, in Peyton Manning's career, the first guy I think of is Marvin Harrison. So right. that's that's interesting there. No love um, for Reggie Wayne. I'm disappointed. Hey, Reggie Wayne was really good too. But I mean Marvin <laughs> Harrison, Marvin Harrison's got an edge on him. Um, uh I, I can't I can't fault you there. Do you got any other notes from this matchup? Anything at all? Yeah, I wanted to touch briefly uh, back on Miami here, uh particularly about Tua. A couple of weeks ago when we first started this podcast, I had Miami as one of my teams that was had surprised me so far this year. And I cited the fact because I thought Tua's ball looked sharper. I thought he was hitting receivers in stride more often. And on that final drive that you referenced, the while there was a botched snap, I don't really think that was the center's fault. I think that, that was a catchable ball from Tua. The play before that, he absolutely – I don't know what happened, but he absolutely flutters this ball. Cedric Wilson Jr., the receiver on the play, has the cornerback beat for a touchdown. This was on third down, I believe. And he – I don't know if the ball came out of his hands awkward or what, but it came out fluttering, and it was 
like 15 yards shy of where that ball needed to be placed. I saw some of the things that I saw from Tua last year under throwing some of these deep balls on these go routes. And I, I, I saw it creep back in in this game. And that concerned me there. Couple that with the fact that Miami still hasn't beaten a team with a winning record this year. Yep. How dangerous are they really? They certainly don't look like the team that put up 70 on Denver a few weeks back. And that was probably an extreme end of the spectrum that we shouldn't be expecting from them going forward. There are big question marks about this Dolphins team going forward. The other thing that made me think a little bit about them was they've got their low, their road loss against uh, Buffalo earlier in the year. And then they've got their road loss against the Eagles uh, a few weeks ago as well. Now they've got this loss against the chiefs. It's not just teams with winning records. It's that I don't really feel comfortable with them outside of Miami. They beat the chargers in that opening game at the very beginning of the year, but the chargers we know have their flaws and they beat my Patriots in week two, but the Pats are terrible. Um, so, I mean, their schedule going forward isn't too crazy. They've got a last three weeks against the Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills that could be really tough depending on where they're seated at that point. Um, but I don't I don't feel great about them in playoff time at all if they have to travel away from Miami. I feel like as soon as they have to do that, it's it's pretty much game over for them. Um, time will tell. Good. Thank you for pointing that out as well. Yeah, and then two also – there, how big of a home field advantage will Hard Rock Stadium be come playoff time in December or January? There, the it's extremely hot in the beginning portion of the year, and it's an extremely tough place to play for opposing teams when they have to go down into there in that heat that they're not accustomed to, and the way that the sideline is shaded, the the Miami sideline is shaded, but the opposing the visitor sideline is exposed to the sun. So it's a very difficult place to play for opposing teams early in the year. And there's a factor of that that's going to go away as you hit December and January, where the temperatures will come down from the mid nineties to, you know, to maybe high sixties, low seventies, something else to consider there, even if they do have a home playoff game. Just really, really weird vibes with the dolphins right now. Next game I want to hit on would be the Las Vegas Raiders and the New York football giants. This was not a great game to watch any thoughts that maybe it was going to be an okay game were put to bed when Daniel Jones left the game with what later uh, turned out to be an ACL tear. He's now done for the season. I want to hit on that after I make some Raiders points. They look so much different without McDaniels in the building. They just seem like they're having fun, which I think is a really underrated part of playing professional sports when you've got, not that I have experience, but from an outsider's perspective, I would think when you're not playing well and when you have this guy leading your team who obviously none of the players liked with the stories coming out from that building after the firing, these guys were smoking cigars and partying in the locker room after they won this game like they just won the division title or something. And I think it was just because they wanted to throw it in McDaniel's face that they could win. Um, Aiden O'Connell actually looked pretty decent. I think I, I might be tricked just because we've seen so many bad QBs the last couple of weeks, but he didn't look terrible. I mean, it's 16 for 25, 209 yards. He didn't throw any TDs, but Josh Jacobs just ran the ball down the field for him and, and took care of uh, getting into the end zone. 
it, it's it's tough to really take too much stock into this because with Daniel Jones out, the Giants went from uh, a bad NFL football team to basically a non-existent NFL football team. They belong at this point in the Sun Belt or something in college football. <laughs> oh, that is quite a dig right there. We are going to get some pushback from our Giants listeners. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. There, How many more games do you think the Giants are going to win at the end of this year? I mean, I don't. Uh, maybe if Tyrod comes in, and or maybe they just give Zaquan 35, 40 touches in a game. But I don't know, man. They've got like maybe that Patriots game I mentioned. Maybe maybe the Packers. After that, it's like there's not much there. They're looking at four, maybe five wins max, and it, there's not much they can do about it. Even if Jones was healthy, their O line has been so brutal this year. He didn't even have a chance really when he was um with two ACLs I feel bad phrasing it that way but um yeah I just that was pretty much the nail in the coffin on the Giants season if, if it hadn't happened already and I feel for the Giants this is like the season from hell for them after they had such an awesome year last year and, and got to the playoffs and won a game on the road no less and I don't know what happens for them next I don't know if Jones comes back. I don't know if Dayball comes back. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I think, you know, if they're if they've got a top pick, if they have the top pick, they have to spend it on a quarterback, right? Right? I or do something. I, I think, I mean, I think, I think if they think that they have a game-changing, you know, franchise quarterback that they can take in in the top five of this upcoming draft class, which they're trending towards a pick like that. I do think you have to take him, but but the it's not going to be that simple for New York. I mean, right. the, Danny Jones just signed that massive contract. He's going to incur a massive cap hit. He's going to have to be paid by somebody, and it's not going to be easy to unload him. And even if you do draft a young quarterback in this upcoming draft class, it's going to be incrementally more difficult to build talent around him because you're not going to have as much money to spend. You know, that's the that's the thing, the benefit of having a quarterback on a rookie deal when a lot of these teams go ahead and draft a young star like a CJ Stroud, who we'll talk about later in the podcast. He's not getting paid the big money, the big money contract. So you have that money to go and spend to other pieces that you can put around him, whether it be on the offensive line, whether it be skill position guys. The Giants aren't going to have that luxury if they go draft a, a new quarterback. They've had offensive line problems despite spending a lot of top picks on the O-line. Evan Neal has been a has been a colossal disappointment for them. They have continuously struggled to find good receivers for Daniel Jones to throw the ball to. So there's two big gaping holes right there, offensive line and skill positions. Saquon's deal is only through the rest of this year. You're not sure if you're going to be able to re-sign him for what he's going to want. So it's not as simple as just drafting a new quarterback. I really think if they don't find a way to unload some of Daniel Jones's contract, then bringing in or drafting a new young quarterback is not going to do anything for him. It's just going to get him killed in the process as well. And the only way I see them being able to potentially uh, get another NFL team to take on some of that cap hit, take on some of that money from Danny, Daniel Jones's contracts is to take trade Jones along with draft capital. And then that gets back to the whole argument, well, you can't use the that draft capital that you're trading away to build young talent around your new young quarterback. It's just a really tough spot for the Giants in general. You touched on it. I feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody would trade him. 
actually. Have you, we've talked about it a few times. Have you seen the quarterbacks the last couple of weeks? So many of them are so bad. You can't tell me that somebody would like, I'm trying to think of it. Like, um, let's take the Titans. If Levis doesn't work out, let's say he just has an awful rest of his year or better example, Jordan Love and the Packers, right? If he continues to stink up the joint in Lambeau Field for the rest of the year, you think they're going to feel great about bringing him back next year? I I mean, the way they're trending, they might actually win enough games to be out of that top slew of quarterbacks race. They could end up with like a Bo Nix or somebody else maybe, but why not go for a guy with a little bit more history that is shown he can sort of do it in the NFL? You might not have to necessarily give up a ton for him because of it, I'm just trying to think of other maybe options where it works out a different way. That that would be not necessarily like an ideal landing spot for him. It's just, I'm just trying to think on my feet. From a pure talent perspective, when healthy and with some an O-line around him and some weapons to throw, I mean, Daniel Jones is better than Jordan Love, at least right now. But it, it's, it's about taking on that contract money. I'm yeah. looking at what he's due. In 2024, he's due a base salary of 35 million with a 47 million dollar cap hit. Uh, don't, oh ask me, don't ask me. Don't ask me. Don't ask me exactly how like your base salary versus your cap hit works. I'm not that <laughs> person at NFL contracts. Wow. But then in 2025, 30 million dollar base salary, 41 million dollar cap hit. In 2026, 46 million dollar base salary, 58 million dollar cap hit. You're not going to have to give up anything to get him. You just will be so hamstrung by that contract if right. you do take on Daniel Jones. Like you need to. The only situation where it works for Daniel jo- to for an NFL team to take on Daniel Jones is to have a lot of young studs already in place that are already established and good. Green Bay is not the worst situation. They have a young uh, receiving core with Christian Watson, but I I don't think. I, I I just can't see any team like wanting to do that. I, I think the Giants are really just going to have to stick it out with them and hope it gets better. Yeah, that I mean, that contract is brutal. I if Daniel Jones is smart. Every single day that he's sitting in that hospital bed recovering from surgery, he better be sending his agent fruit baskets for, for that deal because he's going to be set. Sorry, Giants fans. Really, I. I joke a lot about Daniel Jones and the Giants and I have a lot this year, but I, I genuinely do feel bad for, for those fans. Cause it's, it's not, it's not what you want to see in football. You want to see competitive teams out there. A lot of people were hoping that the Giants were, were going to be decent again this year. Certainly. I think they've been the biggest disappointment of the season so far um, for various reasons, uh, whether they can help it or not at this point, moving on to our next game. Another one I don't think we have to touch on super long. This was a a dud of a game I was really hoping was going to be great. It's Baltimore and Seattle. Baltimore absolutely smoked Seattle. Final score of this game was 37-3, and actually it it felt worse than that somehow. Baltimore could have beat these guys by 50 if they wanted, but they had the second team offense and defense out there for the whole fourth quarter and a little bit of the third quarter as well. The Ravens ran for 298 yards as a team and held Seattle to less than 30. They've given up nine touchdowns in nine games as a defense. Geno Smith has struggled all year. It's it's He's been pretty brutal, actually, for Seattle. It's a guy that who had a, a resurgent year last year, and I think they were counting on to be great again this year. He hasn't looked great, but 
the Ravens just absolutely bottled the Seattle offense. They knew that if they could force Smith to pass, which they did, they were going to be in the best possible scenario. Seattle's playmakers now, DK Metcalf is, is kind of having a down year. Uh, Lockett, I'm saying it right now, right? <laughs> Lockett. 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 He's not French? I, I thought, never mind. Um, <laughs> Lockett. But yeah, man, this Ravens team are, they're just scary. I had them second in my power rankings last last week, and I have them second again this week, which I'm teasing a little bit for later on in the show. But goodness gracious, they are just Lamar's ideal. This is the ideal team for Lamar. You've got a defense that seems like they can contain great teams or certain like good teams, at least. We'll have to see when they play some tougher teams down the road. The running game, you can just put pretty much any back in there. They've had now, I think it feels like four or five different guys have huge games for them as a number one running back. So you can trust pretty much anybody with the ball. He's got some receivers that can make plays when he needs them to. I don't know, man. Now that we're talking about him like this, I'm sure they're going to get smoked by the, by the Browns next week, which you would love. You probably, as a Steelers fan, you would love to see some division on division hate crimes there, but um, yeah, they're they're, everything I can to jinx them. Don't worry. (laughs) The Ravens just looked unstoppable in that game. I I was really looking forward to being great. And I, by the end of the third quarter, once I saw OBJ catch a touchdown pass from Tyler Huntley, I, I knew I didn't need to watch anymore. And I flipped to something else. Baltimore's the best team in the AFC right now. Uh, that's really that's my opinion. Yes, they're they're they are they are playing like the best team in the AFC right now. Okay, you know yeah. I've said it a million times. I'm gonna trust Patrick Mahomes. I'm gonna trust Joe Burrow in the playoffs over Lamar Jackson, just because those guys have had more playoff success, postseason success. But right now, at this current moment in time, the team that is performing the best in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens. Seattle was in first place coming into this game. Gino hasn't been great this year, only nine touchdowns and seven picks, and he wasn't good in this game. But this was a five and two team that was in first place in their division, a division that includes the San Francisco 49ers. The previous week, it was against Detroit, another first place team that came in there with only one loss. They absolutely embarrassed both of them. They are clicking on all cylinders. This defense is electric. And you you touched on it. Lamar has not had to be crazy crazy good he's only got nine touchdowns on the year he is running the ball a lot i think he's got four or five hundred yards maybe not quite that much but his passing is is so efficient he's completing passes 71 percent. yeah he's doing it at an elite level like that's drew Brees type stuff there he's he's not drew Brees. that's not the style of games that he plays but it's the same numbers they're outscoring uh the nfc teams that they play they've outscored um 108 to 33 <laughs> over three games. I, I almost feel like I could trust them against any team from the other conference. They've got a crazy hard schedule the rest of the way with the Bengals ahead, still the Steelers ahead, the Niners, the Dolphins, the Jaguars. They've got to play some tough teams, but you're right. They're they're playing like they're the team to beat. Yeah, to your point about the NFC against the Ravens, Lamar is 17-1 and one in his career against NFC teams. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what goes into a stat like that. The only thing that I could think of is that Lamar is a guy that you you watch him on film, and then it's that's one thing, and it's a whole other thing to actually stop him when 
when you're facing him. And the only thing I can think of is that NFC teams have less exposure to playing him, only play him once every four years. And it's difficult to adapt to his style and combat that from a defensive perspective. It's the only thing I can think of, but that's an absurd stat. Yeah, 17 and one, Lamar Jackson is against NFC teams since he took over in 2018 for the Ravens. Wow. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really high on the Ravens. I am very interested to see how their next couple of weeks go on the schedule with uh, the Browns and Bengals looming, both at home, by the way. If they win both those games, the division might be locked up. Saints-Bears. This was a weird game, but kind of fun. Um, if you look at the stats, it looks on paper like Chicago outplayed New Orleans. And then... You scroll down a little further in the box score and you see the Bears had eight penalties to New Orleans one. And I think it was uh, five turnovers to New Orleans none. That's the difference right there. New Orleans, they really, it's weird because I, I, I like watching them. They're a great team to to have in your four box or, or whatever, if that's how you choose to enjoy football on Sundays. They're exciting. Taysom Hill is like kind of, a weird version of what you would have hoped Tim Tebow would look like in a functional NFL offense. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you know, Taysom Hill has now thrown for 10 touchdowns, rushed for 10 touchdowns and caught 10 touchdowns. Yes. He's only the second player in NFL history to do that. By the way, the saints schedule. Who's, who's the, the other of- out of curiosity? Sorry to interrupt again. Who's the I, other? I forget his name. He's a guy that played in like 1960 something. I saw this on the broadcast of that game. I don't I don't remember. The Saints schedule the rest of the way is stupid easy as well. They've already been helped by a week schedule. They have yet to beat a team with a winning record, mainly because they haven't really played many. They've played a couple. Uh, they lost to the only teams they've played with 500 records or better were the Texans and the Jaguars. They lost to both. But the, re- the schedule the rest of the way is pretty easy as well outside of this Vikings game that they have coming up, which kind of seems like um, it could really dictate a lot in NFC playoff standings potentially down the road. Uh, they play the, Vi- the Lions in a few weeks, but otherwise it's divisional opponents, the Giants, the Rams, the Vikings, who I mentioned. On the flip side, Chicago, I, I didn't hate watching them. Tyler Badgett was... He had some moments where he was okay. Like, I kind of liked watching him, and then... Towards the end of the fourth quarter, he crumbled. He had two really bad picks, and it just it all went downhill. But they've got some good skill players. They just they need a quarterback, man. Whether it's Fields playing healthy and playing well, or maybe bringing someone else in in the draft at the end of the year, they're set up with with two top five picks potentially. So we'll see. First, I do hate to correct you. It's Tyson ba- uh, ba- Badgen. Put some respect on my man. On my man, Ty- did it's I Badgen, say Tyler? First, first, you said Tyler. His first name is Tyson. I I don't. Wow. I don't blame you. It's a it's a guy out of Shepherd College, but let's throw some respect on my man's here. D two um, passing I, yards leader at one point, right? Yeah, goat D two goat baby. Uh, yeah, not a great game for him when you look at the total box score. I'll get back to him in a second. The answer to who else has so according to this site that I'm on now, five players apparently have logged the ten 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 receiving rushing and passing but the only guy that they name is a gentleman named frank gifford uh, yeah that was the guy it back in in 1964 yeah that was the uh, guy that was the guy i don't know what team he played for but he is a member of the pro football hall of fame so 
elite company that Taysom Hill is with. Is Taysom uh, Hill a Hall of Famer? <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to say that right there. But uh, he is an electric gadget player who it does create a, a different dimension to New Orleans offense. And I think that the Saints have really utilized him more this year, at least in the past couple of years, ever since Drew Brees left um, more so than ever. It, it does provide another dimension that defenses have to be concerned about, especially once the Saints get down into the red zone. So it is an offense that I think at times has looked inept this year. And I think at the end of the year, we would probably say that the that the downfall of the Saints or the shortcoming, so to speak, is their offense because their defense has risen up in more occasions than not this year. But they do have some pieces. Chris Olave got his first touchdown over the weekend as well. Alvin Kamara has, has been very good, a dual threat out of the backfield. Derek Carr has been serviceable enough. Um, I'm not overly – like convinced with new Orleans and I'm not overly confident with them just because this was still a game that they needed all those turnovers and some mistakes from a young rookie quarterback in order to win. But everybody else in the NFC South lost this week. So they get a win and they pick up a full game on everybody else. And they're still trending towards having a home playoff game come postseason time. That'd be huge for them. My, my low note from Chicago, otherwise that I really wanted to touch on Cole Komet made some ridiculous plays and looks like he could be in the process of becoming an elite tight end. He's been a weird player the last couple of years where he's had a few games where he just goes crazy and then he'll disappear for a couple of weeks. So he's been huge for them in their offense. And and it certainly seems like T-Bag, as I have lovingly nicknamed him, mainly because I I can't remember his first name, apparently, (laughs) uh, has a good connection with. Much love to uh, to the Saints going forward, but I I do think your point about their offense looking stagnant at times is truthful. I, there were some moments in that game where it seemed like they kind of went away from Carr taking snaps on purpose because they didn't feel great about him in certain situations, whether it was short yardage in the red zone, certain third down distances at different parts of the field. Like he he missed some third down throws pretty bad and the second half of that game, especially in the fourth quarter. So it, it's nothing major. Like he's had some good games for him and he's not the kind of personality that's going to turn that into an issue. Like, I think he's a great guy for their locker room and someone that will help them to have an identity as an offense, even if they're not necessarily playing well, but Still, I don't see them really contending down the stretch because partly uh, of those issues. But we'll see. I, that They seem really hard to stop when they get inside the 10 because they've got that Kamara-Hill combo where it just seems like if they're both on the field, you have no idea who's getting the ball. You have no idea where it's going or how it's getting there. And that's really tough to beat. We've seen other teams do that in different ways, like the Chiefs or like the Dolphins at a certain point this year. And I'm not necessarily making a full-blown comparison to those teams, but just in that situation, like short yardage at the goal line, how effective, how efficient you are, that can win you games and that can win you big games. So they're a sleeper team. I, I wouldn't like to play them either way, but I, I don't necessarily see them like winning at all or, or really even coming close. Does that make sense? Well, 
Yeah, no, certainly not. not winning at all. They're just not talented enough of a team to do that. But they will have a home playoff game if they can hold on and win the NFC South and going into into New Orleans and into the Superdome with how raucous that crowd always is. That'll be that'll be difficult for them. Oh yeah, for that any could, opposing team. We'll see. Uh, yeah, Cowboys going into the Superdome. I don't know how I feel about that. We'll we'll have to see. Do you want to hit on that game next, Philly Dallas? Since I brought it up, we got some other games yeah, we got to touch on, but right into it. Yeah, yeah. So that was the Sunday night game, and no, that was that four four twenty five game. Four twenty five. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was at four twenty five, but it felt like a Sunday night game. It felt like a playoff game, actually. It, it felt like a night game up here too, because once we, because when we set the clocks back, I guess right. extra hour of sleep, it gets dark up here in in Boston at like four thirty now. So it was dark from basically the start of that game on. So it did kind of feel like a night game to me, at least up here. Oh yeah, but I this this had an incredible feel to the game. I it's Philly Dallas, probably probably the best rivalry in the NFL right now, probably. I mean, come on, man. I'm still going to say Steelers Ravens beats it. That's just uh, that's that I mean, would be that would be I think that's the next logical choice. But in terms of, yeah, that's like that's it's those two rivalries. And a lot of people would say both for different reasons. But both teams were playing really physical. Both teams played well. And I actually thought Dallas outplayed Philly for most of this game, but just couldn't get out of their own way at the end. Dak had an awesome game. He had, let me go look. He had over 300 yards. I think he had over 350 yards. He didn't throw any picks. He was leading the team down the field. CeeDee Lamb had an insane game. He had like almost 200 yards on 11 receptions. He had 191 uh, receiving yards on 11 on uh, 11 catches. Uh, Dak 29 of 44 for 374 yards, three TDs. But his problem was he took five sacks for 41 yards. And he took that one big sack in that last drive of the game too, that kind of put them started to put them out of range uh, of the end zone. Uh, Ferguson came up with some more big plays for them. Their defense was able to make things tough for Philly at times, but ultimately this game came down to a few plays where you have a touchdown getting waved off because the tight end caught it right at the goal line and was down, I guess, or his one knee was down when the ball wasn't in the end zone, but uh, yeah. And and then you've got Dallas running out at the two yard line before he can get the ball outstretched. I saw so many people tweeting. It's a game of inches after this game. And that really rings home. I, I mean, small minuscule mistakes like that can cost you games against great teams, which the Eagles are. And Dallas, despite how well they played, despite giving themselves every opportunity to win at the end and and doing so in Philadelphia, never mind. I was really impressed with them. And I know they lost the game and they're going to catch a lot of heat for it because it's the Cowboys and they lost another big game and, and Dak didn't come through in the clutch. But I think this, in a weird way, is progress for them. And And I could see them playing Philly tough down the stretch at the end of the year. Philly has a really tough schedule ahead. You need them to lose two games going forward just to tie them before you see them again, which I don't think is impossible, but it's not likely. It's just a brutal way to lose for the Cowboys, man. It's an art form they've mastered at this point. Philly also just looks unbeatable, even though somehow the Jets beat them earlier in the year, which I'm still scratching my head about. Awesome game. Would love to watch that again. I would love that as a, as a conference championship game, actually, at the end of the year, but 
Um, there's some other great matchups that we could see in that situation as well, possibly. Yeah, and it's possible you may get your wish down the road and you may see that in in a, in a postseason game. Yeah, Dallas came up short here, a game of inches, as you mentioned, but I, I, I echo your sentiment. I think that they should be taking solace in the fact that of how close they were, given that they were on the road here at a divisional opponent, maybe the best team in football right now, and they were just a matter of inches from pulling this one out. You know, I expect them to get the win in Dallas when these two teams play each other again this year. And man, CeeDee Lamb, I think, is having the best year of his career. It was a little oh, yeah. bit of a slow start for him, but he has another monster game. Uh, it's huge what he's doing for Dallas. And Jake Ferguson steps up in a big way as well. You mentioned he's really needed to take on kind of that wide receiver two role. Brandon Cooks hasn't really stepped up for them in the way that they had hoped this year. And it's actually warranted them going out. And I don't know if you saw this today. They they signed Martavis Bryant. I did. Today. Um, I did see that. And he, w- he was reinstated by the NFL. Hasn't played since I think it was 2018. He hasn't played. He obviously had issues with uh, marijuana usage and, and some other substance abuse problems that the, that caused the NFL to, to ban him from the league for a set amount of time. 2018. But, yeah. With the Raiders. That's crazy. I didn't realize it was yeah. that long. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. He's 30. We'll see if he, we'll see if he can bring another dimension to that team or how much of an impact he has. Uh, I think that they do need another weapon outside of CD. Jake Ferguson will hold enough for now. Um, and they need to get their run game going. We, yeah. We talked about how, how good Philadelphia's rush defense was. So I don't think that we can draw too many conclusions. I mean, they got those two big bodies on the defensive line there in um, Jordan Davis and uh, who am I forgetting? Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter is who I'm yeah, talking about. Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter. My bad. Um, anyway, so yeah, so they got those big bodies up in the uh, up on the defensive line, and it's very difficult to run the ball against them. And considering that, I think Dallas had like 50 yards on the ground today, so that's not too bad. But they really need to get that going. Tony Pollard hasn't been as much of a factor, I'm sure, as they had hoped. And they're going to need to have that element if they're going to if they're going to go deep in the playoffs and if they're going to knock off the teams like Philadelphia here or or other competitive teams in the NFC like San Francisco. You need to have multiple dimensions to your game and you need to be able to rely on more than just one player. In this case, that one player being C.D. Lamb, because the def- defenses and defensive coordinators, as we get deeper in the years, it comes playoff time. They're going to be able to scheme and take if it's just one guy you have to worry about, they're going to be able to take him out of out of the game plan, either by double teams or whatnot. So that's something to work on for Dallas going forward. But I I am encouraged, and I think that they are a team that when they play their best, they are as good as anybody. I don't think that they always play their best week in and week out as consistently as a team like Philadelphia does. But Dallas's best can compete with anybody else. And not every NFL team, not every NFL like competitor contender can say that uh the dallas cowboys would still have the six seed uh in the playoffs right now if it started today behind the nfc west second place team um their matchup with the eagles later on this year the rematch takes place a little over a month from now uh december 10th uh on prime time it's actually my brother's birthday uh, december 10th anyways bengals bills very telling results in this game. Huge win for the Bengals. Burrow was lights out once again and is on an incredible streak the last handful of games. I sent you a stat. Burrow did something that 
Last time it was done was in Peyton Manning's 2013 MVP season. He's the second quarterback in NFL history to complete at least 75% of his passes over a minimum of 150 attempts while throwing for 10 plus touchdowns over a four game span. Just the second time that's happened in NFL history. He has looked incredible the last few games. Like the focus that he has, the precision, the the decision making and the ability to make tough throws and plays just look effortless. I don't know if there's a quarterback in the game right now doing it the way he does. Mahomes obviously is still the top dog for a reason. He's got two Super Bowls. But if I had to pick a next guy, certainly I'm going with Joe Burrow at this point. Uh, he's He's got Josh Allen's number. He beat him in the playoffs last year. He beat him again the other night. I feel way more comfortable with Burrow leading my team and, and leading a game-winning drive than Allen. Allen, another pick in this game, which which didn't result in points for the Bengals, but it wasn't a necessary pick. It was in his own half of the field early in the second quarter. You didn't need to make that throw. And ultimately, the Bills probably wish they still had that drive uh, towards the end of the game. Since he's last in the AFC North now with a winning record, and they have a tough schedule ahead, but I think every team is probably scared to face them, much like every team would be scared to face the Ravens. My only defense of the Bills is that they have no run game at all, like just none. Uh, they weren't even trying to pass it at that point, at one point in the game, and and they're missing half their defensive starters almost. They're missing five guys in their defensive starters group. So they're down bad as far as that goes. And now they're outside of the playoff picture. So they still have games looming against the Chiefs, Cowboys, Eagles, Dolphins. Things are looking rough in Buffalo, and I'm interested to see how the Bills face this adversity and this challenge ahead. For the Bengals, they're lights out right now, man. They're firing on all cylinders. Their game this coming week, the Bengals at least. Let's see, who are the Bengals playing this week? I just had this pulled Houston. up a second ago. Houston, yeah, that's that's the game I'm, I really have circled to see how, um, how Stroud and, and Burrow face off against each other, which we'll talk more about Stroud uh, here pretty soon. Yeah, man, uh, Cincinnati is, is arguably as hot as any team. It's amazing that it really only took a bye week to, to get them back into full form. Ever since that bye, Cincinnati's knocked off San Francisco and Buffalo with relative ease. Their defense is playing really well. In addition to, to Burrow playing well, we talked about how Mahomes' defense has really stepped up this year. Lou Anarumo has those guys humming on, on defense. A lot of talent there for Cincinnati with Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Mike Hilton at the slot corner position. So there's a lot of talent to go around on that defensive side of the ball for Cincinnati that that shouldn't be overlooked there as well. I mean, I'm terrified as a Steeler fan with how good the Bengals are looking and how good Burrow is looking in particular. He definitely does have Josh Allen's number. There's no doubt about that. I thought we kind of established that last year when he beat him on the road in the playoffs. I don't have too much more to add other than than what you've already said. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the way it's trending, man, it, it, it's amazing. It, I think it's going to be Mahomes and Burrow again in the AFC championship some game or, or, or somehow they're going to face in the playoffs. And the winner of that game is likely going to go to the Super Bowl. Right. We saw, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, back in the early 2000s, it was really only three quarterbacks in in the AFC. It was um, Brady. Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger accounted for like 
15 straight mm. AFC appearances in the Super Bowl. And I think that we are really in that trend again. It's just Mahomes and Burrow and everybody else. I don't know if there really is a third quarterback. I think some people thought it would be Josh Allen, but there's a clear drop off now we see between Burrow and Josh Allen. It's really just at the end of the day, the AFC is very simple. It's Mahomes and Burrow. I talked about how good the Ravens are as a team, and right now they look the best. But I mentioned playoff experience has me feeling more confident about Cincinnati come postseason. We've seen Burrow succeed the playoffs more than Lamar Jackson. I see no reason to think differently this year. It's got to be Cincinnati and Kansas City at the end of the day in the AFC. The Bengals will face the Ravens just four days after they face the Texans. That's going to be the Thursday night game. Not this week, but the week after. That has oh, actually bad... a good Thursday night game, huh? Yeah, but that has bad news written all over all over it for for injury prone players uh, on the Bengals side playing against a really physical Ravens team on the road on short rest. Yeah, man, since he's since he's looking great and Burrow, I think the the Brady the Brady Manning uh, point that you made was exactly where my head was going right before you mentioned it. This has some sort of I don't want to make the comparison just yet, but it's got a little bit of a light sort of feel of like the early parts of the, the that rivalry between those two guys where you want to see them have to go through each other at the end of the year. You want to see that just to see who has bragging rights going into the next year. Um, I think we're dangerously close also to having that as an every year regular season game. It's not on the schedule this year, but I – it should have been. They, they play each other this year. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. Second a lot. It's on New Year's Eve, actually. New Year's Eve, they play each other. So that's great. Awesome. Okay. I've got that circled. Whew. I'm fired up now. I can't wait for that one. That'll be a fun game. Yeah, that'll be a fun game. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that's there. They should play every year. Playoffs or not. Playoffs and regular season, they should play every year. Minnesota-Atlanta, this was an insane game. 31-28 was the final score. Minnesota wins in the dying seconds thanks to Josh Dobbs, the pastronaut, according to NASA. <laughs> the This game was it was wild. Both teams moved the ball. Both teams put up points. Jaron Hall actually looked okay for, for the Vikings before he went out injured. Uh, he took a huge hit, and it was a rough run. As soon as he went down, I, I texted in our group chat, uh, Dobbs is going to be coming in any second. Hall just took a massive hit. Dobbs did come in. He had zero practice reps with the number one group with the Vikings. He didn't even know some of his receivers' names. He was practicing his snap cadence on the sidelines uh, just before he went in. And the coaches were actually describing what the play was going to be in his headset after he essentially copied what they said in the huddle. So he didn't know what the play was when he's telling the other guys in the huddle. He's just having it told to him in his headset and processing it just before it happens, like calling out protections, calling out or having his coach in the headset say, all right, you're, you're going to want to look over here first, look off the safety and so on and so on. That's just incredible processing. And for a team that already is comfortable and used to rallying around a quarterback in the form of Kirk Cousins, I feel like Dobbs is now after this game, a perfect fit for them. Talent-wise, it's it's a drop-off, and he's not going to be as good. But he had some flashes where he made some big plays for them after struggling a little bit early. It really seemed like 
after the halftime break when he maybe had a few minutes just to like sit down and really maybe plan some stuff out. He looked good. And I was shocked, man. This was crazy. It, it was the last thing I expected to see was the Vikings coming back and winning in this game. Um, the, the only counterpoint I have against the impressiveness of the win is that the Falcons are now two and seven against the spread third worst in the league. And they're the only team in the league with a 500 record or better, or no, excuse me. I don't, I don't think they're 500 anymore after that game. I believe they are four and five. Now, if I'm not mistaken, just double checking on that. And yes, it is. Yeah. They're four and five, but they, I just don't trust them in games. I feel like they're probably the, they are one of the worst teams to bet on. And it feels like it, you just don't have any confidence. They can put teams away at this point. My goodness, Josh Dobbs, have yourself a day, man. Minnesota, congratulations. You've got your guy at least for the rest of the season, for sure. Yeah, I've got my questions about the Atlanta Falcons defense now. Uh, a defense that I've talked up the past couple weeks. I mean, giving up 31 points to a guy who didn't even know the offense is pretty concerning there. Um, so that is that's obviously an issue there in Atlanta. That's That's the way I thought that they were going to be able to win some football games. But I am not going to let that fact take away from what my man Josh Dobbs did this past weekend. You called it out, man. They were talking. They can only talk to him in his headset until 15 seconds before the play clock runs out. Like they get uh, somehow the that they he gets cut off after that, so he can't hear anything after 15 seconds with like 15 seconds to go in the play. So. He is learning the plays as in live time, as the game is happening, as he's getting ready for the staff count. Oh, by the way, he doesn't know the cadences either. So he's learning two things at once, like you said. Just absolutely, absolutely bizarre. And he leads Minnesota to 31 point score. Oh, by the way, Justin Jefferson still out for this game, man. By the way, their running game is still kind of non existent. Alexander Madison, Cam Akers goes down with an Achilles injury. Okay, they, like let's not act like he's got a ton of weapons either. Like Hawkinson is good, Jordan Addison is solid. Missing Osborne went out in this game too. KJ Osborne, yeah, that was a massive hit he took. By the way, he, he got rocked over the middle. He looked dazed and confused. Yeah, that was that was brutal. After that hit, that was scary. I mean, that that's just unbelievable, man. What he was able to do. Kevin O'Connell said it was the most impressive thing he has ever seen. Somebody to learn and get a grasp on an offense that quickly and you talk about being thrown into the fire man josh jobs came out he came out like like the the fire guy from fantastic four i don't know i, I don't know the guy's name that um would, would you say a good comp for josh dobbs in this situation would be uh eminem and in, in the last uh sequence of eight mile where he's just like the oh, best. That's a, that's a good one. He's like the best freestyle rapper to ever have existed. And, and Josh Dobbs is out there just like freestyling at quarterback, basically. Pretty much. But you, you know what, though? It's like it's it's not just a completely freestyling because based on the reports that I've heard, it's like he actually had an understanding of the offense. It, like you can't really say he went out there and just didn't think he just did. Like he he learned and understood it. Um, yeah. The Eminem. I, I like the Eminem comp, though, because he's just kind of going out there and doing his thing. But I dude, he's incredibly smart. He's like a legitimate rocket scientist. You know, he would be working for NASA if he if he wasn't good enough to play in the NFL. Just absolutely incredible human being. Um, I did want to say one more thing, though. 
I mentioned how Kevin O'Connell said it was the most impressive thing he's ever seen as a head coach. I'm starting to hear the rumblings of, of names being thrown out there for like coach of the year. Like Sirianni has been a popular guy as well. Um, Shanahan was maybe not as much recently. Kevin O'Connell might be my coach of the year right now, based on how things have gone. I don't know how Minnesota is going to end up the rest of the year they're, but they're five and four. They're in a playoff position. And Oh, by the way, Kirk cousins is done for the year. They started off one and four. They are missing their best player, Justin Jefferson, or have been for the past four weeks. That's a pretty damn good coaching job O'Connell's doing over there in Minnesota. Credit to him. Certainly an excellent job from Kevin O'Connell and staff. I've never seen or heard of anything like that in an NFL game. That was just ridiculous. Um, yeah, credit to Josh Dobbs, man. Wow. And good luck to the Vikings going forward. They've got that game against the Saints this coming week, which I mentioned earlier that um, that's going to be a battle for 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 a playoff spot. I think if if Minnesota can come out of that game with a win, that's huge for the Vikings. Houston Texans, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game was crazy. This is the CJ Stroud game. I mean, he arrived officially after this. This was like if you weren't paying attention to this guy before, you you have to now. Uh, and I was, I'd seen a few. Texans games prior to this point in the year and and really taking a liking to him. He's on both of my fantasy teams, 470 yards, a rookie passing record in a single game, five touchdowns on 30 of 42 passing. He had two different game winning drives. He was unbelievable. And a lot, most of those points came 20, almost 30 of them came in the second half. They only scored 10 points before halftime. I mean, oh my gosh, they, they, they had, they were missing their kicker for the whole second half. So they couldn't like kick extra points. They were just going for two every time <laughs> they had a fourth string running back, uh, go out and like hit a field goal. And he was, that was, awesome. th- that was so awesome. He was thrilled about it. That might've been the best uh, moment from the game. Um, in Texas, Texas, uh, Houston, I should say they didn't, have anything resembling a running game Uh, still they had 53 running yards rushing yards as a team no sign of of damien pierce still still hurt they had to rely on stroud and they did just that um bobby slowick their oc has been great for them really creative with some plays they had this weird play in the game where it was like stroud handed off to devin singletary going one way and then kind of looped back around him and singletary like option pitched it to him. Like the design of the play was a speed option, but with the running back leading it after getting the handoff from Stroud and it, that got him 10 yards. I'd never seen that before. I think that's a connection that it just feels right. They feel comfortable with each other. If you watch Stroud throw, it's like he knows where the ball is going as soon as he gets it in his hands. It's just about setting his feet and firing and the ball is going to be there almost every single time. Some of the throws he made in this game were ridiculous. Tight windows on the sideline, layering throws between zones of defenders. Like he's executing stuff at such a high level for a rookie. I haven't seen it before really from, from a rookie. Like RG three had that one really great year. Andrew Luck had a really good year. Uh, I think in his first year, if I'm not mistaken, but this has been just stupid, man. I Like, if you look at the stats, you could make a case he's already in the top half of quarterbacks in the league and 
maybe just outside the top 10. He's up there. I think a lot of teams would love to have him leading their team, not just this year, but on that rookie contract for the next four years after this one as well. The Texans, men, if you're a Houston Texans fan, you're loving what you're seeing right now. You're you're like two games out of a playoff spot. I mean, who would have saw that coming for a team that had the number two overall pick last year? Just unbelievable. Uh, and I feel bad for, for the Bucs too because they've lost four straight now. Three of them have been one-score games. They don't look like a bad team on paper or when you watch them, like the eye test. You're, they just have a way of not being able to finish games off. They, they don't really have a run game. Rashad White is a great pass catcher again, and, and he's had a couple of okay games. Their defense has been atrocious against the past, just like awful. The, not just including this game as well. And Baker's actually playing decent. I, I feel bad for him. Unbelievable. I feel bad for Baker Mayfield. I, I hated the guy a few years ago, but when Stroud put that fifth touchdown in the end zone, they, they cut to Baker sitting on the bench and he just looked, he looked hopeless. Like he knew like, there's nothing I could do. I mean, this guy, the guy on the other sideline basically won the game single-handedly. Yeah. And Stroud only had about 40 seconds to, to engineer that game winning drive. So let, yeah. let's keep that in mind as the true, the true two minute drill, not even, uh, I, I mean, you talk I think about it was 46 or 47 seconds. 40, it was something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. I mean, you talk about doing it successfully and then doing it under pressure as well. You talked about him being already on the, the fringe of the top 10, and I think that if you if you talk to an average NFL fan, the, the only thing that would prevent them from putting him in that upper echelon already is just because we don't have a complete body of work, right? I mean, we still have only seen him play eight games, but these stats, his his stat line for this season, I'm gonna read it off. I was in shock when I looked it up. Okay. It's unbelievable. He has thrown he's thrown for over 2200 yards already 2270 62% completion percentage so that that could rise a little bit but we see that typically a little bit lower with rookies anyway 14 touchdowns to one pick and a 102.9 qb rating those are elite <laughs> numbers they they're, they're those are flat out elite numbers texans fans it looks like they got a good one. It looks like they got a franchise guy. They're not even two games out of a playoff spot. They're a game out and they own the tiebreaker over the Steelers. I know that. So the Steelers are in at five and three right now. Houston's at four and four. This team is good. I don't know if it'll hold up through the whole year just because they do have a lot of young guys on their, on their roster. And we'll see, there will still be growing pains for CJ Stroud as it will be the case with any NFL rookie. There is going to be ups and downs, but I do love what they're doing on offense with Bobby Slowick, another guy from the Kyle Shanahan tree. D'Amico Ryans is another guy, you know, maybe throw out a coach of the year, honorable mention or something like that for him Possibly. with what he's been able to do. Possibly. Good on the Texans. Good on the Texans. That that franchise needs a uh, it needs a winner. They haven't seen it since uh, the earlier Deshaun days. And it's it's a special thing when you you realize that you might be having a young franchise quarterback and you're seeing him grow before your eyes and he's making everybody around him better too it's not like nico collins and and tank dell with all due respect to those guys they're not bad players but it's not like those guys are are studs that are carrying him and he's elevating he's elevating their play he's turned dalton schultz into travis kelsey I yeah, mean, dalton schultz had one hell of a day for fantasy owners didn't he he's had a few great games this year with cj stroud uh cj stroud seventh in the league in the yards right now seventh in touchdowns and he's fourth in passer rating that's he's playing like a top 10 
maybe even borderline top five quarterback in the league right now. Um, you mentioned the completion percentage is a little bit down. I think that's partly because he's airing it out more than a lot of quarterbacks you see. He's not, they don't have as many short completions in their passing game. It's a lot more intermediate and deep throws. Certainly it was um, in this past game uh, because they were down at half and, and needed to make some plays to come back. But all signs pointing up for the Houston Texans and CJ Stroud for sure. All right, we're going to hit some quick rapid-fire NFL stuff just to wrap up. Um, is Aaron Rodgers returning before the end of the year? Aaron Rodgers tries to drum up a story. I think he's healing his Achilles with, like, crystals or something like that now. I don't know, man. I You know, I, it's, it's in one year, out the other when it comes to me and listening to Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that this is this is more publicity on his part. You know, he loves to be in the spotlight. I just can't see I can't see him coming back from an Achilles injury that he suffered at the beginning of the year. I, I'm not buying it. I'm not putting anything past him. Just the way he's moving on the sidelines the last couple of weeks doesn't look like a guy who tore his Achilles a couple of months ago. I could see him coming back for the last like two or three weeks of the year and having kind of looking like Burrow did in the first couple of weeks of the year where it looked like he was on one leg and was just trying not to get killed out there. That's not really the version of Aaron Rodgers I want to see on the field, if I'm being honest. Uh, the Jets might really need him at the end of the year if they're if they're in a playoff race. But I would prefer to see him actually take the year and get healthy and come back so that we don't risk him getting hurt again. That's what I'm worried about. If, is, if he comes back, how long is that going to last, right? Is it going to last even a full game? It could be worse the second time if he gets hurt again. I I, I don't like him as a person. You know, I have so much bias towards him because I'm a Brady guy and, and I grew up with, with the Patriots. You see the flag behind my head. I don't want him to go out with a career-ending injury either. Like, I, I want to see him come back and actually play. I just think his best chance of doing that is if he waits. MVP odds? Mahomes still the favorite at plus 240. Hertz is second at plus 320, at least the betting odds favorite. Uh, Lamar, third now at plus 500. Tua, fourth at plus 650. Personally, I think that's a little high. And then Burrow, fifth at plus 800. A few hours ago, it was plus 900. So his odds are fastly rising. He's actually the most bet in this category this, this week or since Sunday, I guess. And then you've got some other guys in there as well. Trevor Lawrence is a little bit down. CJ Stroud, a little bit down there. McCaffrey as well. The position player guys, I think with Tyreek having a couple slowish games recently, I feel like they're pretty much done unless McCaffrey has a crazy second half of the year. Even then, it's a long shot for guys like that. Out of those five guys that I that I mentioned, one, do you think Mahomes should still be the favorite? And two, do you think maybe Burrow or, or maybe even Stroud or should be deserving of higher odds, maybe? I guess Mahomes should still be the favorite. Uh, I'm not. 
we talked about how good his defense has been this year. So I, I, Mahomes is Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in the league. There's not a doubt. And you can probably give this award to him every year in theory. But this year is not a year where I look at Kansas City more so than any other and like say that let me rephrase that he is getting more help this year from other proponents of his team than I think he has in past years. Right. Uh, there's still not a ton of help outside of Travis Kelsey, although I think Rashid Rice is really evolving into a solid receiver for them. But this defense is really stepping up in a big way. And the young talent that I mentioned, those guys like George Carlaptis and Trent McDuffie, those guys have gotten better from their rookie years last year and are, are elevating that defense to a new level where Mahomes doesn't have to do everything himself. I guess by default, yeah, I kind of – I guess Mahomes should still be the favorite. Burroughs is the best bet right now because if you look at – it's a night and day difference, like I said. Look at what they looked like before the bye week, before he was completely healthy, and before that calf strain was completely healed. And now look at how much better Cincinnati looks with him healthy, with him mobile, and the teams that they've beaten since the bye week. You can make a very strong case for Burrow and – his stock is going to rise at a faster rate than Mahomes as well if he continues to the level of play that he has in the past two games over the course of the rest of this season. So I like where his value a lot more. Yeah, I think the pathway for him is there. Like, they're in last place right now. If you can find a way to bring your team at this point in the season from last in the division, no matter what your record is, to first, and Andy keeps playing this way, it's going to be hard to say no to him. I think the biggest point from this is that there's no clear-cut favorite, even though Mahomes has the the best odds, so to speak. I understand why he's there, but, I mean, his stat line isn't perfect either. He's second, tied for second in the league in interceptions. On the flip side, he's also thir- uh, third in the league in, in touchdown passes. I, I don't know. I, I think we're halfway through the year. We got to let the rest of the – we got to at least let another – four or five-ish weeks develop before I, I really, before I revisit this again, I think. I think certainly Burrow has some great value right now for sure. And, and Hertz, honestly, at second has some great value as well. I mean, if the Eagles go like 15 and two and he keeps playing phenomenally, it's not like the voters are, Burrow's going to have to play his tail off to give himself a chance essentially. And that's not even really his MO. He just wants his team to win. But that's a great way to, to get it done. I got one for you. I got one more for you. Yeah. Let, let, let's say Houston creeps into the playoffs, maybe wins a game or two. Right. CJ Stroud get any consideration for MVP? We, we talked about his stat line. Where would that team be without him? Has a rookie ever won the NFL MVP? Jim Brown is the only one to ever do it. Uh, and that no quarterback. was no quarterback. I don't know. Maybe they probably have to like, what's the roadmap for that to happen? They're four and four right now. They'd probably, they'd have to win their division. Right. So they would have to find a way to overtake Jacksonville. They've got one more game against Jacksonville on the schedule. They've already beaten them earlier in the year. And that game is going to be in Houston. The other game. You would have to beat the Bengals on the road this weekend. You'd have to beat the Jaguars later in the year. And then after that, Every game on your schedule is is winnable. The toughest game otherwise is the Browns at home. I don't think it's impossible, but they'd have to go on a pretty electrifying run the rest of the way. I'm not saying Stroud would have to pass for 475 TDs every week. Houston would have to go like 
10 and they'd probably have to go 11 and six at least. Yeah, I was, I was thinking they can't, if Jacksonville's at six and two already, they can't afford to lose more than two games. If they go we'll 11, 11 and six or like 12 and five and Stroud is top five in yards and TDs and he has the fewest picks thrown, he'll have a really good chance and he'll definitely be in the conversation. AFC North right now is a bloodbath. It is four teams all above 500 in this division. Right now, you've got, I think, three of them in the playoffs and the Bengals just outside of it, if I'm not mistaken. All of, all all of them are in the playoffs there. If, if they were to start today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The Bengals would be the seventh seed. Buffalo is just outside with the eighth seed after their loss Sunday evening. Are the Ravens absolutely going to win this division? You think there's any shot any of these other teams can come back? And do you think, if so, who would have the best chance? I mean, Cincinnati would have the best chance if if someone's going to, just because they're the most talented team. But I do think Baltimore is going to hold on to this division, provided Lamar stays healthy. Cincinnati's the team I reference as the best chance to come back, but the you know the math doesn't exactly work in their favor, and the yeah. tiebreakers don't either. They're two games back of Baltimore right now with one game left to play against the Ravens later in the season. And that game's going to be on the road. And then keep in mind that Baltimore won the first game against them earlier in the year. So they've got that tiebreaker working for them. And Cincinnati has a bad record in the division. They've lost both their division games so far. So all the tiebreakers work against the Bengals. So I think with that happening, you can really look at it as almost like a three-game deficit for Cincinnati. But, I mean, you pick a quarterback that can can overcome that deficit. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow as opposed to Kenny Pickett or Deshaun Watson the way he looks right now. I think certainly in terms of feel of the team, that's the team you would feel the most strongly about. They are 0-2 in the division to this point, which is something you kind of alluded to. Uh, the Steelers are 2-0 in the division. The Ravens are 2-1, and and the Browns are 1-2. Your Steelers are still frisky, man. I think they can still find a way to win some games. I don't I kind of feel like it's Baltimore's locked up unless Lamar gets hurt. I don't really see them tailing off. They do have a really tough schedule ahead, so it's possible. I would be surprised if any of those teams overtook them. I think Pittsburgh probably has the best chance just in terms of like myth- mathematics, maybe. But Cincy in terms of skill probably does. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Just given the Steelers have the Steelers have the tiebreaker over Baltimore. Right. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> what about the, the playoff picture in general, though, in the AFC? This is ridiculous, man. You've got all but three teams have at least four wins. And you've got one, two, three, four, five teams that are a game or a game and a half out of that last playoff spot. I'm going to go through this in a way where I'm just going to ask you simply put like cross them off or not, essentially, as we go through the teams, the Patriots are out. They're not even trying to win games. They're done. Uh, The Broncos, you think the Broncos have, they're out. They're three and five. Yeah, they're out. The Titans at three and five, they're got to be out at this point too, right? I like I like what Levis is doing, but I can't trust them uh, with him. Only had two games of NFL experience. They're out. They're building for next year. Yeah. Uh, what about the Raiders? 
The Raiders at four and uh, five. I mean, I, I like what they did this past week, but let's keep in mind it was against the Giants. They don't have a quarterback right now. Yep. I mean, Aiden O'Connell is not – I mean, we'll see if he develops into anything, but they're out. They've got a game against the Jets this week at home. Could be five and five, maybe. Could be. I would di- I would disagree with that. I think the Jets would win that game, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Next team outside of the top 10 based on a tie break is the New York Jets, actually. Um, I've got them out as well. That they've they've played really well at this point. Uh, their defense has at least, and and them just having a 500 record is pretty impressive, but it kind of seems like their defense is starting to give up on them as well. Uh, I got them. I have them alive. Uh, definitely on the outside looking in. They gave up the punt return touchdown. Other than that, they did hold the Chargers offense in check. I think their defense is still capable of winning them games. They're a similar team to the Steelers in that in that matter. I would not project them to make the playoffs, but I'm not ruling them out at this point in time. So then we have 10 teams for seven spots. All right. I think all these teams are, are certainly not crossed off the, the playoff list, but we've got the Chargers and Texans both at four and four. Would you say the Chargers or Texans have the best chance of getting into the playoff picture into one of those top seven seats? I'll give Los Angeles a slight edge in that. I I love CJ Stroud and what he's done, but Herbert's been here for a few, few more years. Stroud is still a rookie. There's still a lot of other young talent on Houston. Chargers were in the playoffs last year. I'm, I will take L.A. if it comes down to L.A. or Houston. See, that one, I don't know if I agree because the Chargers schedule the back half of the year is actually much more difficult than Houston's. Houston is unproven, but I don't necessarily think the Chargers are a well-proven team this year either at this point. Um, they still have to play the Lions the Ravens, uh, the Chiefs is their last game of the year. They play the Bills as well, uh, Christmas around Christmas time. And they still have their road game in Denver, actually, on New Year's Eve night towards the tail end of the year. That for a warm weather team, that's that has a loss written all over it. Agree to disagree there. The Bills next, just outside looking in at five and four. I think you can kind of group them in with the Bengals, Browns, and Steelers. What do you think about the Bills? They'll be in. They'll make the playoffs. You think they'll, so? They'll, they'll they'll turn it around enough. They might still win that division. They have the tiebreaker over Miami. They're only a game back. I trust Josh Allen more than I trust Deshaun Watson and Kenny Pickett right now. I think one of those two teams, either the Steelers or the Browns, will fall out of the, the playoff picture and the Bills will take their spot. Absolutely. What about the Dolphins flying, falling out, though? They could. I mean, I just refer. I just said that the Bills could still win this division. I still think both those teams are going to make it. I think Miami will figure it out to a degree. Um, well, their stat. Miami's big stat, like we said earlier, they their record versus winning record teams versus non-winning record teams. They do still have two games against the Jets, who are a push right now in that category, and then they've got to end the year the Cowboys, the Ravens, and Bills back to back to back. Yeah, that could it's not be, easy. That could be three straight losses. Could be. Could be. We'll see. That and Bills then, game will be at home, though. Yes, it will. It will. And then you've got Jacksonville, Baltimore, KC. 
I don't really see any of these teams missing the cut. Jacksonville, we we said maybe could taper off a little bit, but even then, I, I think they probably still make it as a wild card team if yeah, if Houston overtakes them. Yeah, Jags are going to be just fine. Cool. I, I like that. I like that. I, I think so. What? Probably Chiefs, Ravens, Bills, Jaguars. Chiefs, Ravens, Bills, Jags. I'll say Steelers because I'm a Steeler fan. Browns get knocked out and then uh, Bengals. I think that that's my seventh for the AFC. Okay. So you think the Browns slide down a few spots? And the Bills Buffalo take, makes take it in. their spot. Oh, and Miami. I forgot to mention Miami. Yeah. So my, Miami takes the wild card. The Bills take the division. The Browns fall out. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Top 10 teams. I, I, It's pretty similar to last week. There's a little bit of switch up. My top 10 teams for this week. My top three, I believe, is still the same as last week. Philly, Baltimore, KC. I don't really feel like I can switch any of those around per se. There's not much separation between the teams. I have Philly first just because they seem like they're a little bit more opportune in in rough games, per se. San Fran, I, I couldn't move away from four after the bye week, and I, I have questions about them. I don't necessarily feel great about them at four, but really I don't feel great about anybody after the top three. Jacksonville, I have as five. They were on, on a bye week last week as well. Uh, same with... Detroit, who I have sixth. Dallas, I dropped down to seventh. Uh, Cincinnati, I have eighth. Buffalo, I have ninth. And Miami, I have tenth. Uh, New Orleans just missed the cut. The Steelers just missed the cut. I couldn't even really talk myself into the Steelers being an honorable mention. I, I was just trying to be nice. <laughs> um, I, I really think... Don't worry, Patrick. You don't, you, you don't have to sugarcoat it with me. You know, I, I play it like I see it. I think they're... I think they're there. I think that's not a bad spot for them. Like that maybe 11 or 12, I should say to like 14 rank. But I think there's room for them to improve as well. If they just keep winning games, the, the, the thing with them is they're never going to look pretty. Any of my teams really disagree with being in the top 10 or, or a team you think I missed? Uh, no, not that it comes to mind right now. I just think that, uh, you know, Baltimore is a huge riser. We've talked about them and, Where'd you have Detroit this uh, this week? I know that I, they were on on by, but I had them at sixth. I had them at sixth, sixth behind okay. behind right, that's, Jacksonville that's, and ahead of Dallas, Cincy, Buffalo, and Miami. All right, all right. I because uh, I I thought you disrespected Detroit majorly last week, but we we talked about that. Um, Cincy's in a good spot. I'd expect them to continue to rise. I don't think that they were on your list last week. They weren't. Um, they were. Philly uh, is not. Yeah. They were just outside. I think they were that 11th team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and and that makes sense. That makes sense. We have a little bit more of a body of work on them now with a healthy borough that they that definitely warrants them being uh, in that in the top 10 category. Uh, yeah, Dallas definitely didn't deserve to move down too much, so it was good there. Um, Agree or disagree, I, though, that Cincinnati is behind Dallas? Who would you say wins that game head-to-head right now? Cincinnati. Okay. I think I lean that way as well, but it's really close. It's really close. So maybe I should flip that. Maybe. So then I have Cincinnati seven, Dallas eight, Buffalo nine, Miami 10, I guess. And have Cincy behind Detroit. Uh, Well, Buffalo might be 
be a little bit too high just given their body of work right now and given but, the consideration that they're only five and four. I think that they'll pick it up and turn it around, as I alluded to earlier. But yeah, we're just looking at their their body of work so far right now. I mean, they're not even a top seven team in the in the AFC, you know. And then when you look at power rankings from the whole AFC and NFC, I think it's it's tough to justify putting them in the top ten. Well, who do you put above them, really? I mean, I'm not going to put the Browns ahead of them. I'm not going to put the Seahawks ahead of them after seeing them get smoked. I'm not going to put your Steelers ahead of them, despite how much I like them winning ugly. I still can't put the Saints ahead of them because I think the Bills would win that game head-to-head. I can't put the Vikings ahead of them. I can't put the Texans or the Chargers or the Jets ahead of them. I just don't really have any other options, which is why they ended up where they did. Um, That's kind of ugly. Yeah, after you get past the top seven or eight, you're really grasping at straws to make a case for anybody winning it all this year. What's your favorite game? I'm going to give you five games for this weekend, and I want you to pick your favorite, or I want you to pick your top three, okay? So we've got Texans-Bengals, Saints-Vikings, 49ers-Jaguars, Browns-Ravens, and Lions-Chargers. What are your top three? For those and I, I can go over them again. Texans, no, I got it. you got it. I, yeah, I got, I got it. Um, Lions, Chargers, I think could be uh, potential to, to to see some sort of a shootout there. So I think that that could that could be one that lights up the scoreboard. And I, I just love watching the Lions play, man. I love that their mentality with Dan Campbell, and and um, I'm interested to see how much they utilize Jameer Gibbs here in this game after his huge huge game on Monday Night Football two weeks ago with Las Vegas. So I think just from a neutral fan perspective, I'm looking forward to that one. Browns Ravens, uh, I, I would put it number two, just because I am a Steeler fan and that'll have huge implications in the AFC North. I guess I'm rooting for Baltimore there just because the Steelers are a little bit closer to Cleveland in the standings. I think it would help them help them more. Um, I would like to see how Deshaun, looks against that Raven defense he as you alluded to he looked okay against Arizona he didn't really have to do too much this will be a huge huge test for him um, as he's dealt with a couple injuries this year so it'll be big and then I'll put Texans Bengals at, at number three just because those were the two hottest quarterbacks arguably from this past week I don't see this game quite living up to the hype I expect a little bit of a letdown from CJ Stroud just because I think the Bengals are an underrated defensive unit. And I think it'll just be difficult to replicate and live up to what he did this past week. Couple that with the fact that he is a rookie. I think you can expect some natural ups and downs. They are on the road in this game. So I I think a lot of things don't add up well for the Texans, but I'm just interested to see those two quarterbacks square off and see if C.J. Stroud can double down on his performance from last last week. So those are my top three in that order. I think I would have Browns-Ravens as my three game. I just – I love defensive games, and that has the makings of just a grueling defensive game. Like, someone's not making it out of that game alive. <laughs> uh, that's just what it feels like. Like, I, I'm predicting full-on, like, rock fight, street fight type type game between those two teams. And that's what I want to see. I would probably put Bengals-Texans as my two game. Uh, this is going to be CJ Stroud's biggest test to this point. Facing a top two or three 
probably to QB on the road. Um, both teams outside or both teams just in that middle ground of the playoffs scenario where they're just barely in or just barely out. And then my, my game that I really want to watch this weekend is actually going to be 49ers Jaguars. Um, both teams have the, the buy going into this game. So both teams have had an extra week to prepare. I think Peterson versus Shanahan is an excellent coaching matchup. The Jaguars have been surging to this point this year, and the 49ers are coming off three straight losses. They are The Jaguars are not the team the 49ers want to be facing right now. Let me make that abundantly clear. So this game, to me, has possibly some upset potential for the Jags. Possibly. We've got some more content coming along the way for y'all. Stay tuned. Some fantasy football things, perhaps. Uh, maybe some other things as well. So we'll be right back with that. Once again, you're watching and listening to the fifth and long podcast with Commissioner Kashak, Kamish himself, and yours truly, Patrick DeMarco.